This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. About you, it's already been a good night. It's touch of heaven upon you. The God of miracles is working, and so I pray blessings on you. If you're watching by live stream, we're glad to see you tonight. And again, as we get rolling here, I'll give you some announcements. If you got a Bible, go with me to the book of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21, and we're going to give you an opportunity with your tithes and offerings tonight. I'm going to start in verse number 1 of John 21. And you know what? This may take us a little time to get through this today. I tell you, there's many times that when I begin to pray over the tithes and offerings, I tell you, it it takes me sometimes an hour to walk through this on what God wants to do. And so this is a a very important part of our service. So begin with me. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or Galilee. And this is the way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, he said, boys, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going too. So they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Hmm. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children or fellows, have you any food? And they answered him and said, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now at this point, they don't know who Jesus is. And he's on the shore and he tells them, fellas, if you'll cast the net on the right side of the boat, you'll catch some. So these are fishermen. Every one of these guys in the boat, this is what they did for their living or their livelihood. So I have this thought. They're looking at him and think, who does he think he is telling us what to do? And sometimes I think that's the way we look when Jesus gives us commands. Who does he think he is telling us what to do? And so Jesus says, cast them on the right side of the boat. But in the natural, this doesn't make any sense. But here's a great point for you immediately. Just because the things of the Word of God may not make sense up here, something happens when I obey God in here. Something huge happens. And so in order for them to obey what Jesus said, that means they're going to have to step out in faith. They're going to have to believe. And so he said, cast to the right. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Boy, it pays to listen to Jesus. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged or he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. So as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. 
So let me help you with this a little bit. In March of 2019, I have the honor to go to Israel. And I am at the far north end of the Sea of Galilee where this took place. Actually, it was in Capernaum, which many referred to Jesus as his hometown. So I'm sitting one morning at the Sea of Galilee, and our translator, who is Hebrew, he begins to share this story. And he talks about 153 fish. And so if they knew exactly there was 153 fish, you know what that tells me? Someone counted them. And so he brings out this point about the 153. And he says the Hebrew alphabet, every letter in the alphabet has numerical value. So every number right here would have a letter that would be identified with that number. So when he said the 153, the 153 in Hebrew means ani Elohim. Now if you're Hebrew, I know I may have butchered that, okay? That's the, the English version of that. Ani Elohim. The word Ani Elohim means God will provide. So I had the opportunity to ask him, I said, did those disciples understand what the 153 meant? And he said, precisely. They knew exactly what it meant. So you know what this tells me? When I step out in faith and I believe the Lord and I obey the Lord, even in the area of giving, because remember, this is their livelihood. This is how they make a living. God will provide. I don't care who you are or what you do. God will provide. And I thought you guys would shout tonight. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight that you are in the Elohim. You are the God who still provides. Lord, I pray your blessings today. And Father, that we, we trust you with a, a full heart, that we don't waver when you tell us what to do, even pertaining to our, our finances. And Lord, you, you bless every one of us with jobs. And Father God, we thank you that we become stewards of what you've blessed us with tonight in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Well, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and as you're going to Romans 15, again, baby dedications are this Sunday. You have to sign up tonight, okay? Tonight's the last night for that. That'll be in the second service again. Next Wednesday, the partnership class will be. Sign up on the app. On the 30th, we have family worship. Ladies, remember to sign up for the Women's Cherish. And then the uh, faith closet is open tonight. Be sure and get your children before you go up there. All right, we are going to jump into the Word of God uh, Romans chapter 15 is where we'll begin tonight. And I'm going to start with just this thought for you. What happens or what transpires with every one of us when we choose to flirt with disobedience? Okay, we start. Romans 15, verse 5. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. This is talking about, in several translations says, the things that were written before or the things that were written in the Old Testament 
They were for our learning. They were to instruct us on how to live life. They were instructing us to how to live in a way that pleases God. To instruct us. He goes on to say that we through patience, we through perseverance, endurance, and comfort or encouragement of the scriptures might have hope. And so we draw hope from the scriptures. That when I I just stick with the word, it's interesting he uses the word patience and then comfort, which literally means perseverance and encouragement. I gotta just stick with it. I, I think so many times we jump off before we should. And so he's saying here that the word of God will fulfill everything that he says it will if I just stick with it. I got to stay with it through patience and endurance. Now the interesting part of this, it it takes me into the book of of Hebrews chapter 10. It cross-referenced. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Now remember the word, the scriptures, man, they're, they're part of my, my daily bread, even spiritually. i, I got to get into the word on a day-by-day basis. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Don't lose your bold courage is what one translation says. Do you know when he says, be careful not to cast away your confidence? This must be a possibility. This must be something that can happen to us. Because he's warning us here. Don't cast away your confidence. Why? Which has great reward. Great reward. Again, the word of God, it'll, it'll come to pass if I'll just stay with it. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance, perseverance, steadfastness. The, uh, the capacity to continue. One translation talks about to actively resist weariness and defeat. So he says, for you have need of endurance. You know, the race as a, as a believer, it isn't the 100-meter dash. It's a marathon. Day after day after day. Now, I've never ran a marathon. I get tired just thinking about a marathon. I know ones in this room who have run marathons. I know my daughter's run a marathon. And and if I ever run very far, just say a few miles, sometimes the first mile, woo, it's it's easy. Man, you're light on your feet and it's just you're moving and maybe the second mile. But the farther you get into it, sometimes you find out it's a grind. It's a real grind. But you got to keep going. You got to have that endurance and keep fighting. And I told the guy the other day, he saw me running. He said, I don't know. I didn't know you still running. I said, Well, I don't call it running. My arms are moving, but I'm not going anywhere anymore. But I'm still moving. So it is a grind. And so he says, You have need of endurance, sticking with it, so that after you have done the will of God, After you have done God's word, after you have obeyed God's word. See, many times we get this backwards. We think, well, if God would bless me, then I'll do this. No, no, no. After you have done the will of God or the word of God, you may receive the promise. Whoo, this is powerful right here. So again, 
when I see the word of God, not only do I got to obey it, man, I got to stick with it. I got to stick with it. If, if you've been a Christian for very long, let me ask you this. Is there things that you prayed about 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago that still haven't come to pass? Anybody like that? I'm like that. So does that mean the word of God hadn't come true? No, that's not what that means. God doesn't operate by the same clock we do. And some of the things of God is God knows a timing, a certain time that he'll benefit us perfect. And so again, just stick with the things of God. Now, turn with me back into the Old Testament to 1 Samuel 15. And as you're turning to 1 Samuel 15, let me ask you a question. How well do you obey God's word? How well do you obey God's word? Well, depends on what day of the week it is. How well do you obey God's word? Well, depends on if it's payday or not. How well do you obey God's word? Well, if things are going well in life. See, again, i got to get to that place where I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to obey God. So I'm going to take you through a passage scripture here. And when I read this, I put myself in here and I have to ask this question. What would I do in this situation? 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. Samuel, who was the prophet or the seer, also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now, just because you have been anointed with a, a gift from God, just because you've been anointed with a title doesn't mean you're exempt from obeying God. Actually, I believe it puts you into a higher degree of obedience. So he says, he anointed you over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord your God. Heed, listen, play, pay close and careful attention to. Heed the voice of the Lord. How well do I heed? How well do I pay careful attention to? Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came out of Egypt. So what this is talking about. When the Israelites entered into the promised land, the Amalekites were the first ones to come after them. And God said, I saw what they did. So, Here's the assignment for Saul, verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and women, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkeys. And so as I begin to read this, I have to ask my, this, myself this question. Was the command clear? Crystal clear. It was very precise. And I, I want to highlight some of the words. He said attack, destroy, do not spare. And he said kill. So literally what the Lord told Saul was everything that had breath, eliminate them. Now Samuel, I mean Saul right here, he doesn't respond and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. 
He doesn't respond and say, that's harsh, I'm not going to do that. He doesn't object to any of it. Now, for time's sake, we pick up in verse 9. He also took, or verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and they were utterly, or they were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So when I look at what he said they did, they kept anything that they thought was of value. Now, when I read this, sometimes human nature will have this thought. Well, that makes sense what they did. They they obeyed the majority of what God commanded them to do. This makes sense to me. And so it'd be very easy to look at this and say, well, let's focus on the the good, the 90% of what they did do, instead of focusing on the bad, the 10% they didn't do. But when I look at it that way, that's how man thinks, but it's not how God thinks. And it says they were unwilling to destroy them. The word unwilling is a condition of the heart. And when you see unwilling, you know what that means? You know what to do. You just choose not to do it. Have you ever been unwilling? I have. And when we become unwilling, it's like we're running a spiritual red light. You run a red light in the natural, you're putting yourself at risk. And that happens all the time in Lubbock, Texas. And he lives here and says, yes, verily it does. Let's get off that. Some of you say, Pastor, you're talking about yourself. So they were unwilling. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king. For he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, when I read this, we may see partial obedience in his life. But God saw disobedience. God specifically said, he hasn't performed or done what I've commanded him to do. He didn't do it. Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Now, if you read that correctly, it says, he set up a monument for himself. You know what that's like he's saying here? He built a statue of himself. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so he builds this this monument to himself. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. He says, bless or the Lord bless you to Samuel the prophet. Now look what he says next. 
I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have carried out the commandments of the Lord. This was Saul's reply back to him. James 1.22 says, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers because if we only hear the word but we don't do the word, it says you will be deceived or extremely misled. What? If I just hear the word but I don't do it. And so this was, this was Saul to a T. He knew what the word of God said but he chose not to do it. Now, if we studied the scripture, you would find out this wasn't the first time Saul had disobeyed. In chapter 13, he, he took some things into his own hand, and he thought, you know what? They're not happening on my time, so I'll go ahead and do it. And, and, and uh, Samuel said to him, why have you acted so foolishly? So this wasn't the first time he did it. And so we all know this, that when you start doing disobedient things in the eyes of God, and it doesn't seem like there's uh, immediate consequences, you know what human nature is? I got away with it. And when I think I got away with it, I'll just keep doing it. It's kind of like a teenager when he sneaks out at night. First time he does it, he knows in his heart he shouldn't be doing that. But when he gets home and he got away with it, you know what he's going to do it again? He's going to do it over and over and over and over and over until there's some consequences. And so right here, there becomes a pattern of disobedience in Saul's life. And when I get a pattern of disobedience, it becomes increasingly more difficult to discern between truth and error. He said, I obeyed God. I did what was right. Verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? So he says, I obeyed God. And Samuel looks at him and calls him and says, well, if you obeyed God, what's this bad and this mooing? How are you going to answer that? Explain yourself with that one. And so it was a difference of opinion. And so when Samuel confronts him with that, you know what Samuel's trying to get him to do? He's trying to get Saul to confess his sin and say, I blew it. I messed up. But look what he does in verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Malachites for the people. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So instead of confessing his sin, he justifies his action. The first thing he says, it's the people. It's those people you gave me, God. You remember what Adam did with Eve? He said, it's that woman you gave me. That's the first thing he said. And then the second thing, you know what he says? Well, the reason we did it is we wanted to sacrifice to you, God. We wanted to bless you, Father God. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. You know what my paraphrased edition is? Shut up. The more you speak, the deeper you get. The more you speak, the more foolish you sound. Now, I don't have any tattoos on me, but if I was ever to put one on me, it would probably be James 1.19. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. 
And I believe this is what Samuel the prophet said. Shut up, dude. Be quiet. Be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to me, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And he said, when you were little in your eyes, you know what that is? That's the robe of humility. And I just humble before God. God, God is attracted to humility. First Peter 5 says that God, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And so Samuel's telling, you're, you're full of pride. You're full of arrogance. Verse 18. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go utterly destroy the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed, until they are exterminated. Wipe them out. So Samuel reminds him of the command. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? So over and over, he's reminding him of his disobedience. And he said, come on, step up to the plate and repent. But look what he does. And Saul said to Samuel, but I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, king of Malak. And I've utterly destroyed the Malachites. He will not uh, uh, repent. He will not own up. Now, let me ask you something. Does that describe you? That the Lord deals with us over and over on disobedience. Over and over. You know, when I was in junior high, I had a good buddy. And oh my gosh, every time we were in a class together, we'd get in trouble all the time. Sometimes with the stupidest stuff. And back in those days when you would act up, the teacher would write a little slip and they would tell everything you did wrong. And so then you would walk down to the principal and I had a principal named Mr. Viabla and he would look at that list and he would look at me and go, did you do that? I said, yes, sir. And he said, all right. Put your hands on the desk and look up in the corner. Whack, whack, whack. That would last for about two or three days. And then I'd come back in. And I remember one day, me and this buddy, we were in art class, and we had these big old rulers, and we were sword fighting. And we broke one of the swords. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is just craptacular right here. So she writes her thing out and sends us to the office. Well, we're on our way to the office. And the bell rings at the end of the class. And me and all my wisdom, I said, I'm not going to see him. I'm just going to my next class. So the next day in that class, I look in there. Back in those days, there was a little bitty wind in the doors. And I looked, and Mr. Viabla's looking in that door, and he goes, I thought, oh, Jesus, this isn't good. So he, time after time, he would say, did you do that? And I'd say, yes, sir, I did. Well, there was one time in my life where I was accused of something, and I didn't do it. And I walked into his office and he looked at that, and he looked at me and goes, did you do that? And I said, no, sir, I didn't do that. And he said, what would you say? And I said, I didn't do that. And you know what he said to me? He said, since you've always owned up and told me the truth, I'm not going to bust your rear today. Get out of here. Get out of here. Well, I was thrilled because every time he'd bust my rear, he'd call my dad, and when I'd get home, I'd get it again. 
So he's like, oh, happy day, man. So again, on these areas here, this is kind of like what's going on. Samuel's saying to Saul, come on, come on, come on. Own up. Verse 21. But the people, here we go again. They took up the plunder of the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have utterly been destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? And, and when he says this, he's, he's literally saying, you can bring your offerings and you can bring your sacrifices all you want, but what God notices above every other thing is your obedience, because look what he goes on to say. As obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So when I begin to look at this and he says to obey is better than sacrifice, sometimes we as believers, we have this thought. Well, I went to church on Sunday. I, I, I took communion. I tithed. But my real devotion to God is spelled out by the way I obey him. And this is what he's saying. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Not doing what God tells me to do is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Now, every one of us as believers, we would never willingly play, pay in witch, or play with witchcraft. But he says here, for rebellion is sin of witchcraft. In other words, you've opened yourself to the spells or the influence of demons when you rebel. Now, I've never noticed it that way. But when I see that, I think, man, anytime I rebel to God, that's far worse than the influence of witchcraft. Keep reading. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Wow. Hang on there. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. So now I put myself back in there and I think, Man, there's times in my life I've, I've stiff-armed the Word of God. And it's easy to make excuses. Well, everybody else is doing this. But again, I either obey God or, or I don't obey God. So what happens right after this is if we jumped into 1 Samuel 16, that's when Father God sent Samuel to Jesse the Bethlehemite's house and he said, I know you got a son, and I'm going to anoint him to be the next king. And that was King David. And so he anoints David to be the next king. And in chapter 16, I just want you to read verse 14 with me. And this is what we'll end with. Listen to what happens to Saul. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. This illustrates that in the absence of the Spirit of God, men become vulnerable to evil spirits. Now let me help you with that. It's not like God put an evil spirit on him. God steps back. 
And so as obedience is a magnet to God, disobedience and rebellion is a magnet to the devil. And I don't care who we are. You can try to dice it up any way you want. I either obey God or I don't obey God. But there's always going to be consequences. And remember there was Saul. He would never own up. He'd never, commit, uh, he'd never confess a sin. See, I believe that's one of the great robes of humility. And so I'm going to use King David in ending right here. We talked about this, that King David got into sin. And when he finally confessed his sin, Psalms 51, this is a great chapter for us. Verses 1 through about 10, 12 are just incredible. But in that, King David says this, Only against you have I sinned. Only against you have I transgressed. Only against you have I committed iniquities. And you know what he says in there? This is Psalms 51. This is the message translation. He says, Father God, don't take your spirit from me. Return to me the joy of salvation. And he said, shape a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. You know what Genesis means? A new beginning. So here was a man who took ownership of his sin. And then he said, Father God, shape a Genesis week in me in the chaos of my life. And I don't know where you're at, but God is still in the business of shaping Genesis week in the chaos of our lives. When we repent like David did. David was a man after God's own heart. Won't you stand up with me? Woohoo! <laughs> I had some more scriptures, but we didn't get there. Told too many stories. So we come before Father God again tonight. And again, the only one that knows the condition of your heart is you and God. You know, I can come in here and I can be cool. I know how to talk in Christianese. Ooh, the Lord bless you. The goodness of God, But the condition of my heart can be wrong. It can be off. And what I found out is God loves when we confess our sin. He loves it. It's like he he dumps grace all over us. Just buckets of grace to say, that's my boy, that's my girl. They put on the robe of humility. He gives grace to the humble. That's why I'm saying that. So anytime I humble myself, man, he's, he's dumping grace on me. I don't know about you. I need to get on the floor tonight and let him just start opening the windows of heaven pouring grace on me. So let's stand before God here and just with your eyes closed and your head bowed. Father, we stand before you tonight. The all-knowing God. The God who said the love of God will cover a multitude of sin. And again, God knows what you've done. It's not a mystery to Him. But I can tell you this right now. God loves you. And He's saying, man, I I just want your heart. I just want your heart. And so, Father God, we stand before you and we repent tonight for any forms of disobedience, any forms of rebellion. Father God, we repent for making excuses or blaming other people. 
And Father God, we, we acknowledge tonight our choice to disobey you. And we ask right now that you forgive us, you wash us, you cleanse us. And Lord, I pray for every one of us in here that you are, are pouring your grace upon us, the grace of the living God over and over and, and, and the humility that comes with it. And Father, right now, I pray for every one of us. We ask you to shape a Genesis week in the chaos of our life. We welcome your joy today. We welcome the Holy Spirit. I, I pray blessings right here, Father God. Oh, I thank you. The God of a second chance. And there's some of you in here that you've thought, I've, I've, I've done such a bad thing, or I've done so many bad things, that God could never forgive me. Yeah, he can. And yeah, he will. If you'll just respond to him tonight. And Lord, right now, I pray your love on everyone in here. Woo, the love of God. The God who still takes messes and makes miracles. And we give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.